is uh, This is Joe Cole. This is Ruben Off the Cheek, and you're listening to the London, the London is Blue podcast. podcast. All right, Chelsea fans, welcome back to another episode. That's right, the London is Blue podcast. Dan, one of your hosts here, and no Nick, no Brandon, but we are joined by the wonderful Sam. You know, Miss CFC Central to do a little bit. We haven't done one of these in a long, long time. A match preview. And now we are recording this before pre-match press conferences, so we haven't heard from Sean Dyche, we haven't heard from Graham Potter, we only have the faintest signals that maybe N'Golo Conte might get a light cameo at the moment, but we will wait for that. But until then, we dug into a little bit of the data, we looked at a little bit about what's been going on with the Dyche revolution at Everton Football Club, what potentially has happened for who some of those individuals are that are a little bit more dangerous now, and then how Graham Potter might want to set up to try and, and neutralize the threat of the Toffees and then also put Chelsea in a position where they continue their winning ways. But first off, Sam, welcome back. How you been doing? The people were saying so many nice things about you while we were over in London, and they were just wondering when you were going to be back. And so here you are. We got you back again. Match preview. Oh, it's been wonderful, Dan. And the kind of reaction I got, like for for the dispatch that we did together, absolutely, um, it's been it's been absolutely incredible. I wasn't expecting anything close to the kind of reaction, but um, it's just been so much love, so much goodwill. So always a pleasure being back. I was more than happy to sit back for once and watch all the lovely pictures and videos roll my way. And then, of course, the Ted Lasso podcast also came through. And I was like, you know what? This is just like Christmas came early for me. So very, very happy to be here. And uh, glad you guys had uh, one heck of a trip. It was it was amazing for everybody involved with the liability. Yeah, there's plenty of content still to come from the trip in London that we'll be releasing in the next week or so as we get closer and closer to the 1,000th episode of the London's Blue podcast and across our many different types of shows at the moment. But uh, that, you know, don't want to spoil the fun there. But we do want to thank everybody who leaves a wonderful five-star review in Apple Podcasts and Spotify. It helps people find the show, helps people recognize that this is the Chelsea podcast that they want to be listening to as they maybe find their way into podcasting for the first time. And then you can also join us on Patreon as well to support the podcast. We super appreciate that too. And as Sam mentioned earlier, you can sign up for the newsletter, which also is a every week, every other week kind of distribution that we send a little bit of note into your inbox. And it's another way you can help us out. But we're going to dive in and we're going to talk about this weekend's upcoming match, a chance for Graham Potter to potentially stake a claim to be Premier League Manager of the Month. It is against Everton. It is this coming Saturday, March 18th, 2023 in the Premier League and at Stamford Bridge, the fortress that is being rebuilt after a couple of really nice wins. Now, Sam, I think the thing we want to need to jump into first is obviously former Chelsea manager, Chelsea legend Frank Lampard was fired on January 24th. There have been seven matches since that time. And in general, there have been wins, which it wasn't really happening under Frank Lampard or the frequency. Uh, there have been losses, and there has been a draw amongst that grouping of results. But maybe just in general, I know you kind of have some stats about just some of the changes, about maybe the formation, how that's kind of moving. Generally, what are some of your your early thoughts before we dive into maybe the, the more specifics about what the uh, the Deitch ball revolution has brought to Everton? I think it's everything that you expect from, from Sean Deitch, for example. He's been given 
a side which I would say is very well suited to his brand of football. You know, you've got some extremely mobile, physical players in there. Um, obviously, some of them not available to him, like Dominic Calvert-Lewin. But when you look at that midfield, so much good balance. One of the players, obviously, Amadou Onana, was somebody that we apparently looked at in the summer to try and get into our midfield. Um, and it and obviously, when you've got old school, very good centre-backs like James Sarkowski, it's it just spells the right kind of game plan for, for somebody of his caliber as a manager. And they just looked a lot more compact. I think what he's done very well is go to his basics and do them extremely well. It looks like a, a team that is very aggressive in terms of trying to win the ball, but also making sure that they are very compact. When you see them, it's always going to be a 4-5-1 or a 4-1-4-1. Uh, no spaces between lines, so they're not going to try to let you play through. And obviously, when you try to bombard the box with balls, he's just going to get these defenders to clear them away and then have fast attackers lead break. So what he's done is he's turned a very unstable unit, something lacking stability, lacking form, lacking consistency, into a unit that looks well-organized, that looks like it's playing to the kind of strengths that suit its personnel. So I think that's something that we have to be wary of uh, when we welcome them home. Now, in that time since Frank Lampard has left and Trondheis has come in, they have been able to make a little bit of a climb up the table. So as it stands right now, they are in 15th place. This is being recorded uh, not like it would change it materially because there's not a way for Southampton to bypass them in points based on the matches that are being played today. Uh, and Crystal Palace wouldn't be able to drop below their current position. So Everton are in 15th. Uh, they do have a negative 18 goal difference, but that's some of that is inherited um, and on 27 matches played. So they're right between now Forrest and uh, Lester, who are continuing to slide down the ladder. But I know, Sam, as we take a look at it, just in terms of the um, performance on the chart, you know, maybe it, it is a hard climb out of the bottom. And I would say the fact that a couple of these results initially have been wins against Brentford, against Leeds, another relegation rival, and a crazy win that has transpired against Arsenal. Uh, I mean, they're, they're definitely finding a form that didn't exist previously. And so if any thoughts were that these were easy prey, um, needs to be pushed very far out of mind because they are going to uh, play us quite diffi uh, difficultly during the weekend. Yeah, for sure. I think the first game that we all saw against Arsenal sort of rang alarm bells everywhere for, for top sides because you know what you're going to get with, with him and, and his side. It just looked so good. Like, you know, they were they were absolutely fighting for every single ball, trying to go long, win second balls. I think they had more big chances created um, against Arsenal than Arsenal. You know, the team sitting on top of, of the league quite comfortably and then they went and, and got a 1-0 win. So, um, it was very interesting to watch. So if if people are thinking that this is going to be another walk in the park, it's definitely not going to be that. I think we'll have to be, again, very wary of the kind of threats they have. I think we have a section a little further down where we're talking about what exactly is Daesh Paul and, and what to sort of expect from it and, and what have they been doing correctly and where the weaknesses lie. But uh, I think overall, there are certain things that we need to be very, very careful of. This is going to be a very physical side, which will also influence, I think, the way Porter goes about his selection. 
But uh, it's going to be a very intriguing matchup and hopefully three points for the taking. Well, and as you mentioned, you were 100% accurate in that, that they did create four big chances to Arsenal's nil in that match. Though they did miss three of those big chances. So uh, an opportunity, much like Chelsea, for converting against the the big chances. We're going to take a real quick ad break, but then we're going to jump into the idea of just what is Dyche Ball, how are Everton playing now, maybe some of the changes from Lampard to Dyche. So stick around. We'll be right back after a word from our sponsors. Bet you didn't see this coming. Hope you're ready to hear editor Jake's voice for a while in the ads. <laughs> this time we're coming with Shady Rays. Kick off the new year with new gear built to last. Our friends at Shady Rays have you covered from the sun to the slopes with premium polarized shades, customizable snow goggles, and more. Shady Rays is a world-class sunglasses company, independently built, that'll have you thinking you're wearing some of the world's top brands that you already know with durable frames and extremely clear optics. Not only clear optics, but clear ethics as well, having donated over 20 million meals to fight hunger with Feeding America. Something that we have done at London's Blue Podcast. So, and if you're worried you won't like your pair, they will exchange it, they'll give you a new pair, or you can return them for free within 30 days. And if you're worried you might break them, Thanks to Lost and Broken Replacements, you can get a replacement pair, no questions asked, anytime. Exclusively for our listeners, Shady Rays is giving out the best deal of the new year. Go to ShadyRays.com and use code LONDONISBLUE, all one word, all caps, for 50% off two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. That's right, LONDONISBLUE, all caps, spelled just like the podcast, you know, the podcast you're listening to right now. You can see it in the title. All caps, one word, 50% off, two plus pairs of polarized sunglasses. Try it out for yourself. The shade's rated five stars by over 200,000 people. All right. So as we get back into it, Sam, I maybe just, uh, I found uh, via the uh, an Everton podcast, just they had done a little quick spreadsheet table that was just looking at XG, so expected goals, expected goals allowed, possession, shots for, shots against, comparing Lampard's time to Dyche's time. So XG going from 1.03 under Lampard to 1.29, so an improvement. Expected goals allowed going from 1.67 to 1.57, so uh, a reduction, which is an improvement. Possession has changed pretty dramatically from 46.2% under Lampard to 38.86% under Dyche. Shots for, though, major increase from 9.85 to 11.14, and then shots against actually reducing 15.52 to 11.86. And I guess I just have to shrug a little bit and say, yeah, this tracks, because this to me is exactly what I would have expected. Less possession, uh, less shots against. I didn't maybe necessarily expect the shots for, um, nor necessarily maybe the increase in expected goals. So that that was probably the things that kind of jumped out as me as a little bit of a surprise that this dice side is getting some more on the attacking end in addition to being more defensively resolute. Yeah, for sure. I think when I was looking at the numbers as well, the first thing that stuck out was that there have been improvements across all metrics and they look like, the more defensively organized, what Taish does very well is out of possession structure, make sure that um, you're limiting chances. You're making very good teams struggle for space and then, you know, find the right kind of opportunities, which I think he's done very well. Um, but again, it's the improvement on numbers isn't, you know, straightforward. Like, for example, one thing that I really want to mention during Daish ball is the fact that um, their attempted crosses have, I think, 
gone exponentially up uh, in the last seven games that he's taken over. They've attempted 133 crosses. And only one game, yeah, in only one game, I think the 4-0 loss to Arsenal, they were in single digits. Every single game, other than that, double digits. I think versus Aston Villa, they had 35 crosses into the box, which they got 11 right. So it's been... Obviously, just going to the wings, having these quick attackers put in the ball for the likes of Calvert-Lewin. And, and you've got very good, strong physical midfielders like Onana and, and Ducore running into the box to try and get you know their heads to the to the end of delivery. So, obviously, you are getting more shots away. Obviously, you're, you're getting some kind of headers on target. So, there's that aspect to consider as well. So, <clears throat> it'll be important to see how that translates against us. But in particular, it's been... It's been minute, but I would say that it's it's also been a slight change of style compared mm-hmm. to what Lampard was trying to to enforce. Understood, and and I know you know you kind of talked about you know some of the changes to the attack. I mean, I think people viewed the shift in the the four five one, and, and maybe just if you want to talk briefly about the fact that like what what is the expectation for that back four, five, one in terms of how it should be playing and how, how Daesh is, is maximizing it in a very short time. So the interesting thing is, like, obviously Daesh moved away from Lampard's 3-4-3 three, three and, and 5-3-2, so back five, back three, to try and get, you know, one more man in midfield. So now he's playing with a three-man midfield, which has been pretty much consistent across all his games. You've got Onana, you've got Ibobi, you've got Tokore, who've, who've basically started in those three positions. Um, I think Gay has also come in uh, from time to time, but uh, these are the three midfielders who are basically starting. And it's all about trying to get the ball back to front as quickly as possible. Every time they lose the ball, you have to try and get your your wide players. Um, again, the ones that are causing the most amount of threat are, again, uh, guys like Dwight McNeil so and, and Demari Gray, for example. So these quick guys are now dropping into space, trying to get transitions underway, and then they're attacking the box. Or if, for example, they have somebody like a Neil Mope or a Calvert-Lewin available, try to hit him with a long ball, then get your midfielders in. So you've got Ducore, you've got Onana come in, try to win second balls, which they're very, very good at. They're basically ball-winning, all-action midfielders. So you're getting the ball higher up the pitch. You're winning it from there, and then you're launching an attack. I think that's what he's trying to do very well. It's a very direct style. It's a very brute one approach, but it's also very intelligently thought of because it suits the kind of players. I don't think you can replicate that with a lot of sides in the PL, which are sort of like geared towards possession-heavy, technical sort of play, but I think it suits Everton very well. So, like I said, it's also about increasing the number of crosses, being very direct from that. You know, you might have 133 crosses. You might only get 15 to 20% of them creating a very, very small XG chance inside the box. But it doesn't matter. At least you're getting shots on target. At least you're trying to create some kind of a pressure on the opposition. So I think that's been the change. Um, They've also recognized that you've got strong midfield runners. So somebody like a Dokore is also making runs from deep into the box. Onana is running into the box. Um, And they've, they've got some interesting sort of stylistics that I would say, for example, if you see from how they play on the left hand side, it's a lot more direct. Um, then you've got Dwight McNeil sort of switching wings sometimes. He moves to the right, he moves to the left. And on the right-hand side is where they prefer to be a little more methodical when they're building up. They're they're a little more clever in terms of how they play. Iwobi will move right, make sure he's combining with players, trying to play somebody in, and then they try to get into the box. So 
it's a very minimalist approach, I would say. Uh, it's not tactically overcomplicated, but that's exactly what you need. I would give Thomas Tuchel as an excellent reference because when he came in, he didn't try to overcomplicate. He just saw the profiles he had. He went with the very robust, simple principles, made sure that they were enforced very, very well, and that became the foundation. And I think that's what Daesh is also trying to do. He's trying to get a very solid structure. He's trying to rely on quick attackers that he has. He's not had Dominic Calvert-Lewin, which I think will be a big plus if he's not available. And obviously, when you go from Calvert-Lewin to somebody like a Mope or even playing Demari Gray up front, you lose a lot of that long ball game that you're trying to play. So um, that's what I think Everton will try to do. They will be compact. They will sit back with three midfielders. They're not exactly going to dominate us with possession. Um, they've not had very good possession numbers. I think there's only one game across the seven under Daesh where they've had more than 50% possession. Otherwise, they've just been happy to concede the ball. So it, it really wouldn't be an issue. When it comes to, you know, supremacy, I think it'll be when Everton try and win the ball against us. They have very robust tacklers. So if you're going with a two-man midfield with, say, Enzo and Kova or Enzo and Ruben or anybody else, it's, it's going to be a long, long afternoon. You know, they're, they're going to have to be on their toes, make sure that we don't get caught out in the middle of the field because that's what Everton like to do. They will win the ball. They will go very, very quickly to back to front and, and try to hit us on the brick. Well, as you mentioned, it was only the match against Leeds United, which is a 1-0 victory for them, where they had 51% possession. What's interesting to me, and I don't know if you picked up on this too, is that they, they've had some wonky type of performances against what their expected goals are. You look at the, I mean, Liverpool, Liverpool really uh, had their way with them. Um but when you look at the match against Aston Villa, they had a 1.6 expected uh, goals, didn't score any, uh, to Aston Villa's two against a 1.9. You had Arsenal with the 4-0, which Arsenal came back with vengeance, and uh, they had an expected goal of 1.2 to nil versus the uh, 2.6 where Arsenal scored four. And then uh, most recently, the Brentford 1.0 uh, to one. So just flat with the expected goal. Uh, Brentford uh, expected goal allows 2.0 to the nil that they conceded in the, the win to Everton. And so it feels like they've been, I don't know. Is it underperform? Say it, say it, Dan. Say it. it. They've, been, they've been lucky. Say it, They've Dan. been say lucky, it. yes. <laughs> I didn't want to say the L <laughs> word, but it felt like they're extremely lucky. <laughs> they have been because if you look at the numbers then I mean they've scored five they've conceded ten they've only had three clean sheets in the last seven uh, they've got an expected goal of nine out of like five goals they've, they've got an XG of nine and they've got an XG conceded of eleven so it's it's been like you know they've underperformed overperformed on both metrics and the finishing has been as good as ours you know and, and good being the most sarcastic, sardonic word that I can use in this context. I think they've missed a boatload of chances. Uh, I had the numbers here somewhere. Yeah, 13 out of the last 16 big chances that they've been missed under under Sean Dyche. So ah, trying, um, to, trying to hit yeah. some Chelsea numbers here. That's, that's wild. <laughs> so they've, been, they've been giving us some tough competition. So it might just end up being, you know, who can hit the floodlight kind of match. Uh, if it if it sort of comes down to this. But it's it's they've been lucky. Like I think Brentford missed three big chances. They had some really, really good opportunities to score. I was watching the game. It just looked like, you know, Brentford should have ran away with it. But somehow they came out on top and then took away that win. So they have been fortunate. Um, but that's what you expect from a from a side battling from relegation. You know, you have those little scrawny fights and then sort of like trying to get 
the most minimal advantage you can. I think that's what they're doing. So we have to be careful. You know, there have been a lot of teams that have shithoused wins against us. Uh, we don't want this to be one more. So that's that's all I would say. Well, and Everton have been a bit of a bogey side for Chelsea over the past several seasons as well. And uh, we, we don't want that trend to continue. So as we talk about maybe specifically players that are excelling or finding uh, a new lease on life under Sean Dyche. I had had two stats I'd pulled here. One from Statman Dave talking about Dwight McNeil uh, and that he has scored his eighth goal while when playing under Sean Dyche and his first under him at Everton. Massive goals for the Toffees. And then Everton NSNO. Since Sean Dyche took over as Everton manager, Dwight McNeil and Alex Wobey are joint seventh in the Premier League for chances created, 14 each. The former is joint second in the Premier League for completed dribbles during that time while the latter is joint sixth at 16. And so these to me, I tried to go through the list of of their players and say who has benefited the most and who are going to be the people that we point to if Chelsea do not get a result and say they had a really, really great day. It feels like these are the two. Yeah, I would, I would absolutely agree. I think uh, when I was looking at Dwight McNeil, he's, he's been very, very good. He's an extremely hardworking player. Obviously, he's worked under Daesh. It knows exactly what his manager demands. Um, so as a wide midfielder, as an outlet for those attacks, you know, he's very direct. Um, will look to receive long balls, will try to get his shots away very quickly. Um, and I think he's he's one of the two players in this Everton side that haven't scored. Like so he has scored more than one goal. Everybody else has scored one or less. So they're not really, like I said, clinical as such, but uh, when it comes to providing some level of goal threat. He's right up there. So McNeil will be somebody that we have to be a little careful of. Uh, and Iwobi, obviously, he's a multi-pronged threat. He's that top progressive passer in this Everton side. Some of the passes he was pulling off, not just in, tri- in terms of trying to put deliveries into the box. He's got some great crossing. I think he's played wing back before. He's played as an eight. He's played as a winger. So he's got deliveries from wide. He's got these lovely through balls. He knows how to move the ball from back to front in very clever ways. And I think if we can shut Iwobi's threat down, a lot of the kind of opportunities Everton get on the break, I think we will be able to control. So he will be a key threat. He's also top in terms of assists with six. And he's also top uh, with key passes with 44, uh, according to FPRF. So it's, it's quite a number compared to the guys who are on second and third. So he's effectively been their best progressive and creative outlet. So I would say these two... And there are a couple of other ones. I'm not sure what the situation with Calvert Lewin is. Um, I'm not sure um, how well we will sort of come up with compared to Pickford. He tends to become Levy Ashin when he comes up against us. So that's somebody that we need to watch. And the other would be James Tarkowski. I think he's mm. somebody who's an old school, very, very good defender. Old school with all due respects because he's he's very good in other aspects as well. But he's extremely good in the air. When it comes to Everton's strength, I think they've scored one-fourth of their goals from set pieces. And then he's got uh, goals from there as well. So we have to be careful of that. On both ends of the pitch, he will be somebody who will give um, us a lot of trouble. So um, these four, I think, would be would be the ones to watch. Yeah, as you look at Tarkowski's stats for this season, so he's created three big chances in terms of his dual, duels. Uh, total duels won 64%. Uh, ground duels 55 but aerial duels which you talked about for a player who's 6-1 plays a little larger than his frame at 72 percent so uh he he does you know um 
possession loss is kind of interesting, uh, 9.3 per 90 here. So, like, I mean, there are a couple of things that maybe you'd point to that would give you hope. Um, obviously, they have a similar situation in terms of uh, their goalkeeper, maybe not always playing uh, beyond the height, um, but in terms of the individuals that are going to be making it difficult for, for Chelsea, where... We're in the pitch for those who haven't watched McNeil and Awobi. Where are they going to find them, or who are they going to be likely facing up against in terms of a uh, a one-on-one type of battle? To be honest, um, McNeil will be somebody who will shift between wings. He's played on the left-hand side, on the right as well. So it depends on who Daesh thinks he's sort of like best suited up coming against. I wouldn't think that against say Ben Chilwell on the on the right hand side would be something that he would relish. Um, if Reese James is fit on the right hand side, again, that would be a nice conundrum to have for him, considering both wings are sealed off. But if we have to go with somebody like a Ruben Loftus Cheek or a, or a Trev Chalaba on the right hand side, I would suspect Dwight McNeil to start on the left. So I think that's one duel that we might have to watch him up against Ruben Loftus Cheek, who's who struggled a bit defensively. Going ahead, he's been pretty great. He's been he's been very very good. But uh, defending, he, there was some dodgy moments against uh, Leeds when when we went up ahead. So I think he's he's going to be somebody to watch. <clears throat> Iwobi will be somebody who who does a lot of stuff in deeper positions. But once he moves ahead, he will go all across the pitch, usually on the right hand side. So he will try to create some kind of overloads with with a Demari Gray or with um, <clears throat> Seamus Coleman sort of bombing up from the right hand side. Mm-hmm. So arguably trying to overload Chilwell and if whoever's playing at left centre-back, if it's Badia Shield or if it's going to be Kukureya, so one of those two guys. So I think the the left-hand side, when, when it comes to Iwobi, has to be careful and the right-hand side when it comes to Dwight McNeil. All right, so we're going to take our last ad break and then we're going to get into Potter's plan. How is he going to make sure that Chelsea head into the international break with another win and three more points on the league table. So uh, stay tuned. We'll be right back. All right. So we're now down to what Chelsea can do. We talked about what Everton and Dice are going to be doing to set up and make life difficult for the individual Chelsea players on the pitch and Graham Potter and his staff. But as we look at it, Sam, I think there are numbers that would make us feel more confident. But you always get a little bit of a pit in your stomach when you're playing a Sean Dice team and knowing that it is going to be I think in you know, the U.S. we're talking talk about like tough sledding. Like it is just a really long day of work that is going to have to go into creating the chances and the opportunities because they won't necessarily come super easy. It's a bit of a paradox, to be honest, Dan. When I've looked at them, I'm like, okay, this is not supposed to happen when I'm looking at the weaknesses. For example, they've scored, I think, uh, eight goals from set pieces. And strangely enough, they've conceded six goals as well. So they are strong at attacking set pieces, but they're also very poor at defending them. So I think uh, when it comes to trying to get an advantage there, it, there could be a little bit of, a, of an edge if we can try and capitalize on that. They've looked vulnerable from corners and direct set pieces. There's, that's something that I've noticed. Uh, so maybe Porto Anthony Barry can come up with something to try and neutralize it. The aerial dual win percentage as a team hasn't been great. Obviously, Tarkowski and then the centre-backs have done pretty well. But you look at somebody like a Mikolenko or, or a Coleman, those guys are not exactly going to offer you know extreme dual prowess in the air, in the box. So maybe that's something that we can exploit. Interestingly, again, Dan, when I say that they're very good at transitions, when they're able to carry balls, like, for example, 
try pick up balls in the middle of lines and try to sort of run towards the opposition goal. They're also equally bad at counters. When they get hit with counterattacks, they're, they're pretty bad at defending it. And I've noticed this happens because of the way that they play. So when they're trying to hit the ball long to the opposition box. They're also pushing two of their three midfielders, sometimes all three midfielders to try and win the second ball. So you've got Onana moving up, you've got Iwobi moving up, you've got Dukore moving up. And what happens then is that you leave the midfield sort of a little vacant and then you've got them defending against, say, only a back four. So if you can utilize those moments, if you watch both those goals that Liverpool scored against Everton, they were both on the break. Absolutely lightning quick counterattacks. The first actually came from, from an Everton attacking corner. They hit the post and then basically Liverpool broke away and then they scored. And then in the second half, exactly the same thing. Robertson broke through the centre, shifted the ball to Salah and then there was a ball across the goal to the far post for Gakpo. So they've been very poor at trying to sort of defend transitions. And the way that we've been playing recently, we've also been trying to do a lot of capitalizing on counter-attacking moments, cap capitalizing on transitions. So I think this is also another route that can be interesting because we've seen Joao Felix try and find runners in behind very quickly. We've also seen Porter try to use very quick players as centre-forwards. He's used Sterling, he's used Mudrik in his last game. So if he can use those quick players, especially against somebody like, say, Mikolenko, who's, who's got the odd error inside him, I, I would say he's probably the weakest of the back line. He hasn't started, I think, the last game. It was Ben Godfrey who started on the left-hand side. Again, not the most ideal replacement, but I think that, that left-hand side can be exploited. So when you've got a quicker player on transitions, try to figure out if you can hit them. Mudrik, if he drops in those spaces and use Everton's game plan against them, I think that can be some chances of success. So I think that's where we can get uh, at them. And, and they also have a pretty leaky sort of way of of defending, you know, it, it looks compact, but they've also conceded 15 shots in three of their last seven games. So they mm. do concede a lot of shots. So I, I do think that there will be enough opportunities to capitalize. It's just, you know, how much of it can we take with our record of finishing as well? It's not exactly been clinical to say the least, but um, if we can get three, four good chances away and at least convert two or three of them, you know, I, I think it's going to be very difficult for Everton to come back from that. But we have to be ruthless for once. So we know that this is Chelsea's last match before an international break. And it feels weird to say that an international break is coming up after the lengthy pause and play that we had for the World Cup. But yes, international football is back. And that is just something we all have to accept with and move on. So really... Graham Potter has everyone that's healthy available to him. Chelsea's last match was last weekend, so he doesn't have to worry about potentially a risk of overplaying the player. Some of these players may not be called up for international duty, so there's a likelihood that this is the last competitive match they could potentially play. Now, it doesn't mean that Chelsea uh, aren't prohibited from organizing their own little skirmishes and, and skirmishes during the international break to try to make sure that their players uh, stay fit, locked in, and ready to go once play resumes. But with all that in mind, building from the back, we know that Mendy has just started to get back to training, so Kepa being the lock from a goalkeeping perspective. But if you look at the defense, who's the back three that you're choosing to go with in this game? Uh, I'm, I'm guessing Fafana is probably the lock because of how he's looked and getting him back into playing regular football is just as important as considering the load on him. 
But who are the other mm-hmm. two particularly? Like we don't know if Silva is 100% ready to go yet. And there there is a lot of option then in terms of what we do on the left-hand side. No, for sure. I think uh, in, in the center, obviously, Koulibaly has been in, in very, very good form. He's, he's turned it around. Looks a lot more composed in the middle of a back three. So I think we might not risk Thiago Silva. I think we might go with Koulibaly in the center. And on the left-hand side, just to provide a more aerial advantage, I would 100% go with Badiashi. So I think... Uh, that has to be a lock for me on the left-hand side. Uh, it's not like they're going to to create a lot of issues, sort of uh, dropping into the kind of areas where Kukurea has to has to be proactive. They're not going to have too much of the ball, so I think we can take a little bit of risk and make sure that we at least have uh, competency and and say an added advantage on set pieces where I think they will try to nick a goal. So I would definitely put Badia Shield there. And on left wing back, obviously Chilwell in the kind of form that he's playing. Um, I don't know what the club thinks about the workload, about how much we're sort of overloading him because he's he's played some really gruesome shifts. You know, he's had to run up and down against Dortmund, then against Leeds, and, and it's it's been it's been brutal on him. So hopefully the club will sort of take that into consideration. So I will definitely start Chilwell. So I think that's my backline. Well, who do you think starts in midfield? I mean, Enzo is the lock, but uh, yeah. who else? Well, we got Enzo in the middle. We can't sing the song Can if we Enzo don't have him in there. <laughs> I sound like um, I, I don't really want to sing and then drive our views away. So pardon uh, me. No, that. I, uh, <laughs> Nick, Nick and I sang at the last one. And we still have listeners, so I think we're okay. But <laughs> so the question mark has been about doesn't Golo Conte have an opportunity to make an appearance? And while I think there are plenty of people who'd like to say, like, yeah, let, let's go, let's get him back in, let's get him playing football. Like, we don't need to give Deschamps any type of credence exactly. to go call exactly. go Conte that, up that early. That is my point. That is my point. You know what? Just say that he's not ready. Do not play him. Do not play him. Say he has, I don't know, he's, he's pulled a tendon in his stomach. I don't even know if there are tendons in the stomach, but just but just put him out. Like, you know, the moment Deschamps gets a sniff that, that Conte is fit, he's gone. Like, he's already taking Wesley Fofana away from us. Yeah. So I, I genuinely do not trust this man. You know, just keep Conte on the bench. Like, don't even put him in the match day squad. Just, just let him be. I think that 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 opportune time to play him will come after the break. Well, I, I don't know if that's going to actually happen, but I I agree with the sentiment. <laughs> I feel like I feel like everything has gone so well for Potter that he's going to be hesitant to make a lot of changes heading into this match. So mm-hmm. I'm guessing Kovacic will start next to Enzo, and I think if you do see N'Golo Kante, it's likely a 15, 20, 25 minute cameo just to get him a little bit of rust knock off and back to competitive football. But I, I would agree with you. If there's any risk that he is potentially on the boundary of being called up for international duty, uh, I, I might do a, a, a Bill Belichick. Somehow he just magically ends up on an injury report that uh, the moment France start playing, he just drops off again. And I don't know that how that happens, but... You know, wow, it's just really weird timing. Well, what's got the captain's armband as well? So I think he's also a lot. Yeah, so I think those two midfielders would definitely be. And, and hopefully like a 15-minute cameo I'm not too averse with. I think I think that's okay, provided like you said, you know, it's just very maybe, safely Maybe he managed. fake pulls up at the end of the 15 minutes, <laughs> gives us all a big scare. And then he can just, you know, get his his week, uh, week plus back with the first team. The, the real question though... You know, so we, we've seen a couple of variations of this. I feel like Kai Havertz is a lock to continue playing in the attack and, and really hang him back to play off of whoever's playing as the more central attacker. 
is it a return to Raheem Sterling over Mudrik? Um, or, you know, do you see some other kind of configuration in the in the front line? I think uh, going with the kind of configuration that we've done in the past two games would be pretty interesting. I don't think that we need to, again, move Kai back to a number nine. He's not going to get too much joy against Tarkowski and, and Cody or whoever it is that is going to start in the Everton backline. So stick to what's worked. I would say, again, Felix is somebody who's, I think, been a little unfortunate. He's also has to do better, obviously has to be more clinical, but uh, somebody who's created, at least tried to create something. He's not going to have too much space against the kind of lines that uh, they're going to offer. But at least on the break, the kind of movements he does to, to receive in space, the way he collects on the turn, the way he's also releasing passes first time behind. I think Dortmund was somewhere where I saw mm-hmm. consistently. There was this one time where he just spun away from Niklas Sula and then he released Sterling over the top and that's when he was offside. That that goal that Harvard scored, which was a ruled offside. Um, and then another one that he slipped a through ball again for Sterling, who just didn't get there. But uh, he is somebody who's displaying like sort of a key component of being part of utilizing that transition mechanism quicker. Ideally, it would have been Mount or Felix switching between that role because I think both of them are are very good. Felix, obviously, much better at carrying the ball, but Mount also has, I think, a better way of releasing the ball into those areas in behind. You know, if you remember the goal against Lille, where he put Callum Hudson-Odoi from his own half, that, that beautiful through ball over the top, I think those kind of passes, if you're looking at then then Mount would probably be the ideal person to start over Felix. But I'd probably say one of those two Felix starts. Havertz starts, and if it has to be center forward, I'm okay with Sterling or Muzik. Just depends on what Sterling's injury is like. Yeah, the, the other question too is, you know, is is Mason ready to come back in and start, or does Potter take a more gradual approach, gives him that 20-minute cameo potentially allows someone else to start and go to the full extent and then get sub later in the match. But, you know, I, I think what's nice is now Potter is getting to the point where his bench is going to be full of individuals who can come in and help break the game open versus basically being whoever is healthy at, at Cobham getting on the bus or the plane and basically having very limited choice and kind of being very planned in who those subs are going to be. And so I think that's the nice thing for Graham as we we go ahead and look at this and kind of wind down. Any final thoughts, predictions that you want to leave the listener listeners with as we wrap up on this one, Sam? Uh, Not really. Just hoping that we can make it four and four. I mean, that would be some turnaround, to be honest, considering the kind of circumstances we were um, just a just a month ago, I know that when we were talking about podcast planning and stuff, it was just oh the mood, you know, everybody's so downcast and it doesn't even feel like you know that entire point where where we used to feel like you know watching games and and when there were games coming actually twice a week, you just you weren't looking forward to it. But now things have changed and we aren't even fighting over team selections. It doesn't matter who starts over who. I think that's the sign of of things turning, of players starting to sort of get out of the the hole that we'd sort of fallen into and it's something to look forward to. So if anything that I have to say, back the manager, back your players, does not matter who starts, you know, 
we are Chelsea and, and that's it. Love that type of energy. What a great way to end it so that uh, we can enjoy some Champions League action a little later today and uh, hopefully find out if we have a favorable draw and some nice locations for our supporters to go visit as a part of uh, Chelsea's campaign to get the third star. (laughs) (laughs) Has to be Milan. Go on. Uh, Milan or Inter, potentially, with the Lukaku item as well, uh, kind of in consideration. He's allowed to play. Is, is the loan stipulation allowing him to play? I don't know. That's a great question. We'll have to fi- find that one out yeah. if that is, in fact, who we end up playing. But, look, I think if we uh, don't get uh, Pep-, Pep Guardiola and Cyborg Holland uh, or Bayern Munich, I think that oh, we Munich, yeah. have a very Even Napoli. I, I do not like Napoli and Benfica either. Both of them are, I mean, tough teams. Both of them I've watched quite a lot. One for Osman, one for... Uh, Enzo and, and obviously yeah. a lot of other players, but yeah, not 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 nice teams to come up against. It's going to be very rough. So, uh, if you could get either of the Milan teams, um, UEFA, if you're listening, please, you know, do us a favor, give us the third star, and uh, uh, let us be on our merry way. Make, make this season worth something. Oh my gosh! If Grandpa wins the Champions League in his first season, he's gonna oh, rocket up the managerial. <laughs> rankings for for Chelsea managers and that's what we hope for as Chelsea supporters so that is going to wrap it up for this one thank you Sam so much thank you listeners for you know tuning in and giving us an opportunity to give you some thoughts about what's going to happen against the match against or in the match against Everton but uh, more thoughts coming your way and so we're going to get back to it but until next time you know what to do